0: Let me give you a little advanced notice. You're going to think I'm talking to a particular group of people because I'm going to be talking about how a particular group of people are, but I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the church. So, um, if you will, my, my initial um, starting point for the sermon, if you will, a lot of this is going to be, pretext for the sermon if you were growing up as a child and you needed glasses you kind of knew that eyesight was important and if you didn't need glasses when you were a child as you grew older you decided you needed them I I remember the uh, first time and just before a freshman in high school I had to get glasses You know, it's not cool because it was the horn rim kind and whatever. And then one year later, I went to um, a pizza place. I could barely read the menu. So I went back to the ophthalmologist, and I had substantial deterioration in my eyesight. And so he goes, well, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, your, your body's changing, and you're maturing, and you're growing up, and... And, and I literally said to the to the doctor, what is the point of growing up is when I'm blind when I get there. But then if you didn't need glasses as a young person, all of a sudden, oftentimes, people's arms start shortening because they keep trying to read but be, because they can't, whatever. So eyesight has always been important, but that's not the eyesight we're going to talk about. The world seems to be concerned with what you see. So, for instance, there'll be Rorschach tests where they have these ink blots and they ask you what you see in them. And and I guess there's no right answer. I've never had to take one. I've just seen them and whatever. They you know. So it's kind of like what do you see in the clouds? You know, some people see ponies and and whatever. And, I tend to be a realist. I usually just see clouds. But they're interested in what you see. Today's message is not whether you see or not, with your eyesight, or what you see. But how you see. You see, in the world, they have a particular viewpoint. We call it a worldview, whereas we believers tend to have a godly point of view. And so, for instance, two people, a person who's not a believer and a person who is a believer, can see the Grand Canyon, and the non believer will see millions of years being used to etch out the Grand Canyon. And a believer sees how God. Quickly did it through the flood. Both see the same thing, but two obvious different conclusions. Now on our side, for instance, if if you are more than a teenager, if you saw Mount St. Helen, all of a sudden that went from a mountain to in a few moments less than a mountain, and a bunch of petrified wood, which before that would have said it would take ages and ages to accomplish, and yet it was done in just moments. And so, again, the believer has nothing to retreat from. The evidence is on our side. But we see things differently because we have a different worldview. And then you have those who saying, you know, this is all just a simulation. It's just somebody's imagination, and we're all a part of that. And it's a matter of, I guess, which pill you take as to what you see. Then there are those who say, well, we're part of an infinite multiverse. There's all these multiverses going on at the same time, and I'm infinitely in all these other multiverses. And my point is, okay, let's accept for argument that there are multiverses. How does those infinite other me's help me here? They don't. So well, I have to deal with my reality here. Speaking of reality, and that's where we kind of the world today is. It's all a matter of relative relativistic. Your truth may not be my truth. Your reality might not be my reality. And people come up with different reasons. And so your worldview has to determine what is moral, what is right, what is wrong. And oftentimes in the worldview, they have nothing to latch on to as a foundation for why things are. So I'll give you an example today. Let's say there is a store owner. Let's say this person owns a drugstore. And a young man comes in, picks up one of those plastic baskets. It's his girlfriend's birthday. So he goes and he buys, and he, he pulls out a beautiful birthday card, puts it in his basket. Gets some chocolate. Puts it in the basket. She loves unicorns. So she, he gets a stuffed animal that's a unicorn. Puts it in his basket. And then goes and says, you know what? I got to look good. So he gets deodorant and soap and cologne and a razor and all these different things to make himself look and smell good. And he puts it in his basket. But instead of checking out, he walks through the door. Now, the store owner would say, he just stole my stuff, and that's wrong. He should not have done that. He should have paid for it. The person who just took those items could legitimately say, as some have said, well, you know, the law says that I can take up to a certain number of dollars worth of stuff and not be prosecuted. I didn't take the amount Above that, so I followed the law. I did what was right, because I <laughs> followed the law. Now, the store owner was going, wait a minute, you're wrong. And the, the person whose girlfriend was having a birthday I did nothing wrong. Each of them says, you, I did nothing wrong. You violated my property rights. What do we do? Well, the problem is that there is this sense of what the Bible will talk about and what we'll look at is that people do what is right in their own eye. The Bible's form of relativism. You see, you think the Bible is written thousands of years ago and is irrelevant to today. It's talking about philosophical matters thousands of years ago that we try to justify today. And so in Psalms chapter uh, 36, verse 1, it says, Transgression speaks to young Gali with his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. The person who has no worldview that there is a God is not even concerned about what God thinks and what God has commanded because they don't fear God. And you see that in our world today. You'll, you'll see, well, if there is a God, me, he struck me down. See, so he didn't strike me down. Therefore, there's no God. There is this sense of there is no fear. And unfortunately, there seems to be no fear actually even in people who claim to be believers. You and me. Because how many times... Have we done something that we know God didn't want us to do, but we figured he'd forgive us anyway? Instead of fearing him and doing what is right, we said, well, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. And we know he wouldn't say yes, so we did it and we're going to rely on his forgiveness. The scriptures also tells us in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, every man's way is right in his own eye. Again, that sense of what I do is right, and one of the difficult things is, is when you try to talk to people about what is right or wrong, and they've done something, quote-unquote, wrong, that they want to justify it because it's right within their own eyes. Nobody wants to be criticized. Nobody wants it's, it's right. But God doesn't look at what you think is right in your own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. God doesn't determine how you think, but who you are. So many times people think, oh, if I if I do the right things, if I do enough of the right things, then God somehow will appreciate that and allow me into his heaven if there is a God. But God goes, no, no, I want to know who you are. I weigh your heart. And again, in... Um, Proverbs chapter 27, it says this. Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. You see, just because you have the ability to see things and hear things do not mean that you understand them. As a matter of fact, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not trouble and, tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree so that it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. Jeremiah is preaching to not the world, but to God's people. That they don't hear or see, even though they have ears and eyes. Understanding is not a matter of the senses, but a sense of understanding what God has accomplished. And God is saying, the reason that you don't hear and the reason that you don't see is because you're rebellious. You don't want to. You can have all the wonderful arguments to try to convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong. Unless they don't want to hear you and don't want to see you. And then it just doesn't matter. We husbands know that all the time. Wives can give us all kinds of great advice. We don't necessarily follow it. But it's not just Jeremiah. Isaiah has the same situation. And Isaiah, after Isaiah sees God in all of His holiness, placed on His throne with the cherubim and seraphim and the angels and everybody saying holy, 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 he realizes that he is a he is undone because he's a, not a holy person. And God heals him. And he says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah's response to seeing a holy God is saying, I will do for you what you want me to do. You can send me to your people. What is it that you want to say? And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return and be healed. One of the most tragic statements in the scripture. You see, our God is a God of love and forgiveness and mercy. But there comes a point when God says I want you to preach but I want you to preach to the point that they stop listening because if they actually hear you and understand they would repent and I would forgive them and I don't want that to happen. How tragic to be at that point. But again look at Isaiah because we're all saying God, use me. And God says, okay, I'm going to use you. No one's going to come to your church. No one's going to get saved. No one's going to repent. You're not going to have a great building program. As a matter of fact, they're going to, st- they're going to do all kinds of bad things to you. Thanks a lot, God. I thought when you called me, I was supposed to have great success. And I goes, no, no, no one's going to respond. They're just simply going to be there to tell them. the situation that happened in Isaiah's day was the very same thing that happened in Jesus's day. Because Jesus was teaching in parables after those who had told him that he was doing miracles based on Satan. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So when we take a look at having this worldview of understanding that there is a God and that he has called us and he has purposes and he has right and he has wrong and he has desires for us, it's because we have been granted the mysteries of the kingdom but not them. For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and to he who will have an abundance, But whoever does not have, even to what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For their heart of this people has become dull, and their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. That's it. If they were to do that, but because they've sent away this opportunity, God's, even though they have ears and even though they have eyes, they will not understand what's going on because if they did, then they would repent and I would heal them. But oftentimes when you see the word, but you go, it's uh, like, I think you're wonderful, but you go, uh-oh, I'm not going to like what comes next. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. How do you see? You see because the Lord has opened your eyes and opened your ears. And if he has, then you are blessed. And if he hasn't, perhaps you should seek him to open your eyes and open your ears. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have been blessed because we have seen what Jesus did. We have understood because of what he has taught us. And we've seen his resurrection. We understand that when Abraham said to Isaac, God himself will provide the sacrifice of the lamb. We say, aha, I see it. When we see Jesus turning water into wine, we say, aha, the God who creates can do things that seem to take forever in fermentation and yet can be done instantaneously. When we see him walking on water and stand, and silencing the storms, we say the God who controls the elements. When we see him healing the sick and the lame and all of those, we say that God has the power as a great physician to heal the body. And when we see him raise the dead, we can see him saying, He has power even over the resurrection. And then when he rose from the dead, we said this power was not only granted in his ministry, but that is why he came, that he might free us from the sentence of sin and death. Blessed are you when you understand and when you see. Jesus also tells them that if your eye causes you to stumble, to take it out. And and we we kind of repel at that. Well, Jesus obviously he, he's he's being over critical because he's trying to drive home a point, and he's using it. no. Jesus is saying it is better not to see and to see than to see and not to see. We need to take priority. So sometimes God provides difficulties in our lives that we might understand who he is as opposed to everything being wonderful. But I'm going to pivot. You see, the world is this way. The world doesn't see. The world doesn't understand. The world has this relativistic, viewpoints of things, and they do what is right in their own eyes. They have their own sense of reality. They have their own sense of right and wrong. They can't justify, you know, because somebody will say, there are no absolutes. But I love to ask them, actually, I'll ask them two questions. One, they say, there are no absolutes. I say, are you sure? Are you absolutely because if there absolutely are no absolutes, then there's at least one absolute. Which means there are absolutes. You see, we all try we all try to be really funny and whatever and, and too smart by half. God has not called us to be relativists, but to follow him and to see him and who he is. And so, the point of this message is not to rail and scream and, and talk about the world. Because they don't see. They don't hear. They don't understand. They may be doing what is right in their own eyes because they've got nowhere else to go. What I want us to talk about in this message is God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 getting ready to go into the promised land. God is giving them laws and he's giving them covenants and He's giving them the very things. And then he tells them, you shall not do at all what you are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eye. You see, God is telling his people, you are not to be relativists. It is not a matter of, well, if it's right in your eyes, it's okay. If it's not, if it's your reality, it's okay. No, no, he's saying, You are no longer to do what is right in your own eye. Now, he's specifically here talking about that God says, when you come to worship, you're going to worship at a particular place, which is eventually going to be Jerusalem. You're not going to do like the other world thing, where they set up all kinds of temples all over and have orgies and all this other stuff. You're not going to do what you think is right. You are to do what I have called you to do. In the book of Judges, we see this phrase, doing what is right in their own eyes. And in Judges chapter 17, starting with verse 1, it says, Now there was a man in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Micah is saying, I stole from my mom. But I have a problem. She cursed the silver. So now I can't do anything because if I spend the money and do whatever, then it's cursed and I'm in trouble. So he confesses to his mother that he stole her money. What a wonderful, loving son. This is God's people. This isn't the Philistines. This is... Ephraim's. And his mother said, "Blessed be my son by the Lord." Now in Texas, they would say, "Bless his little heart." And in case you don't know what the translation in Texas is, "Bless his little heart," you're an idiot. That's the translation of "bless his little heart" or "bless his pea picking heart." It's you're an idiot. So his mom. You know, and and moms are all you know oh you know you're such a wonderful son yeah you stole my money but it's okay because you're my son I love you it's all it's all good then he returned 1100 pieces of silver to his mother and his mother said I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image now therefore I will return it to you Now, I don't want to be over-technical, but one of the first few commandments is thou shalt not make a graven image. You shall worship the Lord alone only, and him only shall you fear. She can't get through the first couple of commands. And again, this is not the Philistines. This is God's people. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image. Now again, what's the silversmith doing? He should say, you know, I can't do that because it violates God's command. But there's money in it. Who made them into a graven image and a molten image and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and a household idol and consecrated them one of his sons that he might become his priest. They have now done exactly two different things that God had told them not to do. Not to make a molten image, not to make a graven graven image and to only worship where he designates for them to worship. And instead of the Levites being the priest, and instead of Aaron's household being the high priest, he decides to have his own religious organization. So he sets up not only this graven image, he sets up a priest in an alternative way of worship. And at the end of this whole thing, it says, in those days there was no king in israel every man did what was right in his own eye now god is god and god can do and say what god wants to do or say and so i i gingerly step here I don't care if there was no king in Israel. He shouldn't have been doing what he did. It's not an excuse to say, well, there was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right. There was no authority, and therefore I can do whatever I want to do. Now, unfortunately, there was another situation, and in Judges chapter 21, 25, the end result says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every di- everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But what happened there? What happened there was the tribe of Benjamin started a civil war with the rest of the tribes. Now the problem is Benjamin was a small tribe. And they lost the civil war. Not only did they lose it, almost the entire men and families. Of the tribe of Benjamin were killed. And those that were captured were killed. And there were about 600 that escaped up into the um, wilderness area and escaped. And then when they were defeated and they were up, all of a sudden the rest of Israel goes, No, we got a problem because we're supposed to have 12 tribes. But we had told and made a pact with everybody that we won't give any of our daughters to them to marry. So We were going to cut them off. But if they don't have anybody to marry and produce children, we'll not have 12 tribes, we'll have 11. So what they decided to do was, they lay in an ambush, and killed and kidnapped a bunch of people and, and women to be able to give them as wives to Benjamin. killed and kidnapped. I don't think that was right, but they did it anyway. If they had a problem. But there wasn't enough women. So they had to come up with another plan. And so they, again, ambushed and said, if you surrender your daughters... We'll let you go. And they then were able to find enough women to marry the remaining men of Benjamin. Murder, kidnapping, forced abduction. And there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. My problem, and what the reason I'm bringing this message, is that God, as we said, God will accomplish what God wants to accomplish, and God's purposes and God's will will be done. But the church of God tends to compromise way too often. I'll give you two examples. Many years ago, when when it seemed like evolution was science and there was no disputing it, and the, the scriptures seemed to indicate that that was not the way God did things, and so to be cool and to be intellectual, people came up with what is called theistic evolution. The church retreated from the word of God because science seemed to have the winning hand, except as science continues to progress, people of God have the winning. It is more obvious that there is a God than there is. It is starting to happen within, and so I, I don't want, you know, I don't, don't mean to throw stones or I'm throwing stones. There, there's some music, and, I, and I'm sure they don't mean it. Remember, I talked about being relativistic and your truth may be your truth, but it's not my truth. So there's some Christian songs now that says, God, I want to follow your truth. No, no. God is truth. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's not a truth. He's the truth. And yet we're walking backwards and walking backwards because it's all relative. No, it's not that God be yes and everybody else a liar. While it may have been true during the time of Judges that there, in those days, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, that's not the truth today because there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and so it is no longer proper. Whether the scriptures give you a chance that, well, there's no king, so therefore, no, no, there is a king. You don't do what's right in your eyes. You do what's right in his eyes. The last scripture I want to share is in Hebrew. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, now, there are those who say, "No, what's happening here is like if you're at an a, a event, a, a, a race or something in the Colosseum, there's a whole bunch of people watching. No, no. There's a whole bunch of people who have been where you are. They finished the race. You have a cloud of witnesses who say, it has been done. I've done it. You can do it too because God will give you the strength and endurance. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, that's the key. We see and we hear and we understand because we fix our eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite vacations that my family gave to me that was separate and apart from me just doing my thing was I had an opportunity to go to the Bob Bondurant School of Racing. And I had the most fantastic days as a vacation ever. Now, with my wife, I had some other better vacations. But when this, I mean, I I got an award for being so positive about, you know, they could, I go, I just wanted to race. I just wanted to drive. And I was incensed whenever they said I couldn't. I mean, I just wanted to do it. So one of the things that they taught in this was when you're spinning out. And they go, what people will oftentimes do when they start losing control is they'll see like a tree and they're afraid to hit the tree. So what do they do? They look at the tree and they go, guess what? You're going to hit the tree. Why? Because you're going to hit what you look at. Don't look at the tree. Look where you want to be. And then drive the car there. And you won't hit the tree. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you won't crash. You won't go off the track. You won't sin. You won't say, well, everybody else is doing it. I won't been out of control I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the same, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Don't do what's right in your own eyes. Don't compromise when it seems that the most current situation is to go along with the crowd. Because I can guarantee you this. Stick with God's word. You'll be proven right. You abandon his word. And you'll have nothing to hold on. to. The people who say there are no absolutes will tell you, well, there's, therefore there's nothing wrong until I take something from them. Then they'll think, well, that's wrong. Well, why? Because it costs me something. We live in this world and we understand this world Because it's not a matter of whether it's right in my eyes or wrong in her eyes or whether I can get away with it. It's not might makes right. It's what God has called us to do, what God has set before us. And God has caused us to be blessed because we understand and we see. Blessed are your eyes and all God's people said.